How many of you love the Holy Ghost today? I love the Holy Ghost, man. I'm telling you. I love me some Holy Ghost. <laughs> I tell you, can't imagine life without the Holy Spirit. How many of you love the Word of God? And how many of you love the people of God? Well, it's a good day. We got all three of those things right here. It's a good day. All right, we got a limited time, so let's get after this. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. We're starting a new series today called The Spirit of Pentecost. The Spirit of Pentecost. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable here and let you know that in most of my life, as I've read Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, as I've read John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, which are the classic chapters in the Gospels, on the Holy Spirit, I have always read, particularly Acts chapter one and two, I have always read these scriptures in light of me. And in light of me getting filled and fired up in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's awesome and that's fun and that's pleasurable and powerful and it's enjoyable. And there is a dimension to those scriptures that are completely about that. But I'm learning that Acts chapter two is more than just me getting a new, fun, powerful, spiritual language that I get to exercise on all occasions. Guys, I cannot tell you what life would be like without the devotional tongue of our spiritual language. And I, I want to whet your appetite here a little bit. We're not going to preach today primarily on speaking in tongues, although probably every Pentecost for the past 10 years I've preached on that. We're going to talk about the ministry of the Spirit in the church, but here's what I do want to do. For those of you here today, maybe you've been in church your entire lives. Maybe the idea of, of praying in a different language or praying in tongues is completely foreign. Maybe, to be really honest, it just sounds weird and wacko, but I want you to know this today, and I'm going to save my testimony for another time. I want you to know it is a biblical and a spiritual reality. It is a spiritual, what I believe is a spiritual tool, and it's a spiritual weapon that is available for every believer, for every believer. Now, for those who have experienced that, that does not mean that those people are better. It does not mean that those people are saved and you are not. That's, that, is, that is heresy. That's wrong. But what we have come to understand is this is an incredible and beautiful and powerful blessing and gift and tool for every believer to help us encounter God, to help us encounter his presence, and to help us pray. Scripture says in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God helps us with groanings that cannot even be uttered with human natural language. There is a language of the Spirit that is available for you. And I want to just invite you to seek after that and to even ask the Holy Spirit to say, God, would you just lead me and guide me and would you direct my footsteps into understanding this more? And I'm going, I want to whet your appetite to even asking Jesus to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit with a manifestation of your devotional prayer life. I, I, I want to... I want to I want to just prime your pump in that direction. How many of you guys can go, okay, I think so. All right. Maybe a little bit. Can I get some? Okay, cool. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We'll let this be our launching verse. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who is the they that were all together? Well, we read that earlier today in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It was a set of believers and followers of Jesus. There was about 120 of them. And here's the thing that I find peculiar and fascinating and also I find a little sad that out of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that Jesus ministered to in the three and a half years that he walked in his earthly ministry, there was only 120 that followed through until the very, until the very fulfillment of the promise. Now just let that just sit with you and kind of mess with you a little bit. Thousands of people received ministry from Jesus, heard the gospel. Thousands of people were fed by him. Thousands of people uh, experienced his ministry. And yet, after his crucifixion and after his resurrection, when it, when it, when it came down to faithfulness and longevity and commitment and imagine being one of those ranks of people that were part of the ministry of Jesus and you weren't there on that day, on that day when the Holy Spirit suddenly decided to show up. There is, there is something about being gathered together. You ever been a part of an incredible moment, an experience, a memory, an event and the first thing that you thought of was, man, this is so incredible. And the second thing you thought of was, I wish so-and-so were here. Have you ever been a part of an amazing service in God or maybe even amazing life group? Sometimes as life group leaders, we get together. Sometimes we have incredible moments with our family and, and there's just amazing activity that's taking place. And I immediately think, there's no way that I can replicate this. I can't replicate this. And there is no way that there in that upper room on that day of Pentecost when tongues of fire came and rested on each one of those people and in that moment, the church was birthed into existence. Can't replicate that. Now we can watch the fruit of it. We can, we, we can participate in the manifestation of it thereafter, but that moment when the church was birthed can't be a part of it. Man, I would have hated to be like that 121st person that decided to just sleep in that day and not show up at that prayer meeting. That's real, y'all. That's real. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That was a total sidebar. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I'm not going to go too much into the Old Testament historical references on Pentecost, but this moment is actually a part of the Jewish calendar. This feast, or this, this, this celebratory moment that the church then adopted and called Pentecost, was actually the Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of Weeks. And we find this all throughout the Old Testament. Here's just a couple of references for your notes if you want to write these down. Exodus chapter 23, verse 16 it's, it's titled the Feast of Harvest, and God commands the children of Israel to celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops that you sow in your field. Again, we find in Exodus 34, verse 22, Exodus 34, 22, 
God commands the children of Israel, celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Then we find in Numbers 28, 26, Numbers 28, 26, on the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the festival of weeks. So, so what is this? This was a festival that God commanded to take place 50 days after Passover. And it was a time of celebration. It was actually a convergence of two different agricultural harvests. And so as the children of Israel reaped the wheat harvest, they were then to sow on the first fruits of that while another harvest was also coming in on top of that. And there's incredible prophetic significance to all of that. So there is this, there is this idea that the day of Pentecost marks a day of celebration, it marks a day of constitution, and it marks a day of honoring God with our first fruits. And here's what I thought interesting, just from a theological standpoint, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Isn't that right? Okay, he is experiencing right now the resurrected body that every single one of us are going to experience. He is experiencing resurrection life and no human being yet until his second coming is walking in and experiencing the reality of that new creation, that resurrected life. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is set in the context of the resurrection. It's all about Paul theologically explaining why the resurrection is important. Paul is explaining the resurrection actually happened. If it didn't, we're all screwed. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, guys, let's just throw a party. Let's just get crunk up in here, right? Because it don't matter. But the resurrection did happen. And what we do does matter because of the resurrection, there is an eternal life that is waiting for us. So look at verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is, say that with me, the first fruits. It's all going to connect. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, and so in Christ all will be made alive. Each in turn, Christ, the first fruit, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Second thing we understand about, the first, about first fruits is that the church is a form of first fruits. The church is the first fruits of salvation. The church is the first fruits of salvation. What does that mean? It means that we are the first to experience new life in Christ. Are we all together? We all, we all we all agree on that? James chapter 1 verse 18 says that Jesus chose to give us birth spiritually through the word of truth that we God's people the church might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. The Holy Spirit number 3 is a form of a first fruit. The Holy Spirit is a first fruit to us of everything that we're going to receive in the kingdom of God throughout all of eternity. We've not received it all yet, but the Holy Spirit is an earnest deposit. You guys know what an earnest deposit is? I just bought a house not too long ago, 
And when we decided that we were going to agree to move forward with this house, the first thing they said was, well, where's your earnest money? Where's your deposit that is guaranteeing that you're going to be good on everything else that you're supposed to pay when pay time comes? Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you also, this is Paul speaking to the Gentiles at Ephesus, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit or an earnest, guaranteeing our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is a first fruit that guarantees everything else that is coming with the consummation of the kingdom of God, everything else that is promised in eternity, everything else, guys, your full healing, your full restoration, your full freedom, your full deliverance, your full salvation, your full maturity into sonship and daughterhood in Christ, that's coming. Now we're growing into that, but what gives us hope that that's coming? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So listen, when you pray and you pray and you pray and you're not seeing the fulfillment or the finality or the fullness of that thing that you're praying for, you have the Holy Spirit that says it will come. It will come. The Holy Spirit is the promise. He is the earnest. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 22. Romans 8 22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we ourselves, the church, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first one to experience new creation. The church is the first fruits of salvation. We are the first to experience this life in Christ, the redemption that comes by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits of the kingdom and all of eternity. Are we all together on that? So we have the first fruits of the Spirit who groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So that's just really fascinating when you think about Pentecost. Pentecost being a day of the fulfillment of promise, being a day where we celebrate harvest Now, think about this. Is it coincidental that in Passover, we have Jesus laying his life down? Three days after Passover, we have Jesus being resurrected from the dead by the power of God, experiencing resurrection power by the Holy Spirit. And then, according to the Jewish calendar, seven weeks plus a day, 50 days Post-Passover, what happens? We have the festival of harvest. And what is birthed on the festival of harvest? The church. The church is birthed on the festival of harvest, which comes from a good seed. The best seed. A pure seed. And unless a seed falls to the ground and dies... There shall be no life that comes forward. And so God says, I've got to do something about this thing, so I'm going to sow a seed. I want a harvest of sons and daughters. 
And that's why in Hebrews chapter 12, we find that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and laid his life down for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? It was the joy that his life of obedience brought to the Father, but it was the joy of a family. It was the joy of harvest. It was the joy of Pentecost. It was the joy of the first fruits of my life is going to produce the first fruits of the kingdom that is coming into the world because the kingdom is connected to the birth of the church. All right. Now, I'm going to give you a huge word. We've talked about this before, but when we think about the church and actually when we think about God first, there's a theological word called the ontology of God. Say ontology. The word ontology just means the essence of a thing. It's being. So when we talk about the ontology of God, we talk about the essence of God. Not so much what God does, not his function, but the essence of who he is, his attributes, his nature. The things about God in his essence that he possesses that nobody else possesses because no one else is God. That's his ontology. So when I say words like the ontological nature of God, I'm just talking about those things that are reserved exclusively for God that belong to his being. Now the church, because we are created and constituted by God, we have an ontological nature as well. We have a nature of our being, the being of the church. And here's the problem. If we're not careful, we'll focus on what the church is supposed to do. Well, the church is supposed to preach the gospel, and the church is supposed to be missional, and the church is supposed to reach the nations, and the that's all very good, but that's speaking about the function of the church, the doing. But we understand that being always precedes doing, that we don't want to just be a bunch of human de-doings, we, we, we want to be human beings. And we don't want to just focus on what the church is supposed to do at the exclusion of walking authentically in integrity with who we're called to be. And our doing is most authentic when it flows from the reality of who we are. So that's why it's important that we understand the ontological nature of the church. Because we want to know what the church is called to be. Because if we don't know what the church is called to be, we'll never become that which we've been called to be. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, so ontology matters. Now, the, one of the ontological dynamics of the church is the church's pneuma dynamic. Pneuma. What's the word pneuma mean? It means spirit. It's the Greek word for spirit. Breath, life, spirit. What does dynamic mean? Active, powerful, moving. So there is a pneuma dynamic reality to the being of the church. I like that. Now there's, there's other ontological elements of the church, but those we reserve for days that, aren't, that are not Pentecost. So when I say that the church is pneumodynamic, what does that mean? Four things, and we're gonna break these out and roll these out over the next four weeks. Number one, it means that the church is created by the spirit. Jot that down. The church is created by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is not present, this is not a church. Okay? It might be a gathering. 
It might be a motivational talk. It might be a, a, a concert or a show, but it is not a church. Because if there is no Holy Spirit, there is no church. Number two, to be pneumodynamic means that the church is also gathered by the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, Jonathan's gonna talk about this next week, the Holy Spirit is actually instrumental in gathering us together. And all throughout the scriptures, we find a gathering dynamic that is critical and essential to us being and doing what we're called to be and do as the people of God. More on that next week. The third week, we're gonna talk about the fact that a pneumodynamic church is gifted by the Spirit. That's the part that we always enjoy. That's where we usually talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And we're gonna talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but in the context of who we are called to be as a people. Because your gift, ideally, your gift by the Holy Spirit has not been given to you to tear down the very thing that he gave you your gift to build up, which was his people, the church. Moving right along. And then the fourth thing that, me, that a pneumodynamic church means is that we are empowered by the Spirit. So there's our four-week series. Created, the church is gathered by the Holy Spirit. The church is gifted by the Holy Spirit. And the church is empowered. And by the way, whoever that young man was this morning who was praying for the power of God, come on, somebody. Just some sauce on the, those prayers. I like it. All right, so let me talk here for a few minutes just to give us a broad biblical base here and talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit is involved in creation. The Holy Spirit creates. It's actually one of his primary functions. It's one of his primary job descriptions. When you find a dead thing, you need some Holy Ghost because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So in Genesis chapter one, I'm gonna move very, very quickly. Genesis chapter one, we find that the Holy Spirit is involved in creation of the natural order, right? Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And who do we have here? Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. And what was he doing? When God spoke, who do you think made that come into being? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit waits for the word to perform it. Holy Spirit waits for the word. He's looking at the Father. He's looking at the Son. And as soon as they say go, he goes and he is involved in the creative dynamic of things in the earth. Second area that we see the Holy Spirit creating is in humanity. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed life into his nostrils. He breathed the breath of life. What is that? He imparted the Holy Spirit. He imparted the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, that man would have just been a claymation, just a, just a statue. But God performed mouth to mouth, resuscitation 
and he breathed, he imparted the Holy Spirit, and that's how mankind became a human living being. That's what sets us apart as the image of God. We are the carriers and the containers and the hosts of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself. The third area where we see the Holy Spirit creating is in new life. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking with one of the religious, religious leaders of the day, a guy by the name of Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus late at night. And Nicodemus has questions for the master. And part of Jesus' response, we find in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they have experienced the new life of the Spirit. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked, John chapter 3, verse 4. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, and Jesus answered, verse 5. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, natural man, and the Spirit. Water and the spirit, physical, material world, and the spiritual world that is constituted by the spirit of God, you can't enter the kingdom of God if you're operating in dualism. It's not either or. Notice Jesus didn't say it's either, it's not either or. It's fully material world, fully spiritual world, fully natural man, fully spirit of God, and in that we see the kingdom of God. Verse seven, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Reminds me of one of my favorite verses growing up, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation, a new creature. What is that? It is the life of the spirit working to create new life in us. All right, so the Holy Spirit is a creator. He creates the natural world. He helps to create man and breathe life into him and he recreates the spirit within us. Fourth thing that the spirit of God creates is the spirit of God creates the church. Pentecost is so critical because at Pentecost, it wasn't 120 individual logs that were set on fire. At Pentecost, it was a it was a fragmented body, it was a fragmented group of individuals that in that moment became something that they were not prior. I don't know, I don't know what it is about things like, you know, getting geared up for a day like this, but I could not sleep all night long. And uh, at one point in the night, I just kept thinking about Legos. I just kept thinking about Legos. My eight-year-old boy is just, he's gotten all into Legos, got a birthday two weeks ago. All he wants is Legos. And there's something about Legos. I, got, I'm going, I need to do some study into Legos. Because here's the, thing, here's the thing about a Lego, right? I actually had this goofy idea at about 4 a.m. I was like, I'm going to buy a big old Lego box and I'm going to put up there, and I'm going to break up the package, and I'm going to give an individual Lego piece to everybody in the room. Just an individual Lego piece. Just one Lego piece. How many of you guys know what a Lego is? How many of you do not know what a Lego is? (laughs) 
Legos are prophetic, y'all. Now, if every single one of y'all had a Lego piece in your hand, and we had the instructions up here, and we had a thousand-piece Lego set, you could not put your you could not put that thing together by yourself. Your solitary individual Lego block or brick or these things are so elaborate nowadays; it's ridiculous. I went to Disneyland two years ago, and when you first walk into Disneyland, there, is, there are things that are like hanging off of walls, and they're Lego creations. Dragons and castles and Marvel characters that are like, that are, they're literally larger than life. They make entire like structures out of Legos. That is mind-blowing, you guys. But you know what that is? That's the church. Watch this. Watch this. You and your very, very valuable Lego piece, it's valuable. But without your Lego piece connected where it's supposed to be connected, that design, that picture, that architecture, that purpose will never be fulfilled if you're not responsible with your Lego or if you hold it back or you lose it or you're stingy with it. I walked into the room after my post-birthday post party and my son, bless his heart, he took all of the Lego boxes and he opened them all up. And, and yeah, I just, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Someone, Christy wasn't as bothered by, by that as you are and as I, as I still am. And so he pulls all of the Lego packages out. There's like 10 boxes and opens them all up and spreads them all on the ground. I'm like, son, 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 son. I was excited. To build some things. Now, I, don't even, I just don't even want to touch it anymore. So I found, I found one of the most untouched, least fragmented Lego sets. And I said, son, we're going to build this one together. We get about halfway through that thing. And it's like this, this kind of massive car deal. And we're missing one of the axles that holds the, the tire. I'm like, son, where's, where's that piece at? It's a little, it's like that big. He's like, oh, I'll be right back. I think it's somewhere in my room. He runs up to his room, and there are thousands of pieces of Legos scattered everywhere. And he comes back down, I can't find it. I said, all right, son, it's okay. We're going to build everything that we can up until... We're going to skip this part, and we're going to just try to do everything that we can to build this thing. But here's the thing. You, you miss one piece, one tiny, individual, solitary, seemingly insignificant piece, and the entire structure is compromised. You know, Lego guys are brilliant. Those things are expensive, y'all. And here's what whoever designed, some, there's some gazillionaires sitting up somewhere because they did something that Lincoln Logs and all these other just standard block people failed to do. They created connectivity. They created nodules and holes. That's it. Nodules and holes. Let me, let me rephrase this. They created a place for each brick to give and 
and to receive. Because if you, you just, you just slap, how many of you guys have played Jenga? Right? I should have done these visuals, Dan. I really should have. We throw some Jenga blocks up in here, and the name of the game in Jenga, the name of the game is to try to keep it constituted. It's to do everything we can to try to hold it together while we're removing things, and ah, it all falls down right? Why is that? It is susceptible to destruction. It is susceptible to division because there is not something built in whereby each individual piece can give and receive. You don't go to Disneyland and find structures made out of Jenga blocks. They're made out of Legos. All right, so let me just pull all this together. There are three primary pictures. There's more, but there's three primary pictures in the scriptures about the church, and the Holy Spirit is involved in all three of them. The first picture we have is a picture of the family. It's called the people of God or the family of God or the household of God. All right? So let's look right here at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, which means at one point you were a foreigner and stranger. You were a jingle block. You were on the outside looking in. No connectivity, no belonging, right? You were a foreigner. You ever felt like a foreigner before? Where you feel like, I'm doing everything I can to connect. I'm doing everything I can to be accepted. I'm doing everything I can to belong. I'm doing everything I can to offer what it is that God has given to me. And it, there's just, there's no connectivity. Consequently, in the body of Christ, Jesus says, you are no longer foreigners and ailers, but now you are a fellow citizen with God's people, and you also are members of the household of God. You are a member of the household of God. You belong to the family of God. Primary analogy of the church. But check this out. In Romans chapter eight, how does this happen? How is it, how is it that you actually experience family? How is it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And there's a difference. When you've got a good, solid family together and you go to a family reunion and you, you see people that you've not seen for years, but immediately there's that connectivity, there's that connection, there's that picking up where you left off, there's that heart, uh, you know, that, that, that heart melding that's going on. That's, what, that's, that's the picture of what God says it could be like and should be like in the family of God. Now let me just kind of insert this as a, as a proposal. Here's the proposal that I have. The proposal is the thought, the thesis, the theory, the hypothesis, whatever you want to call it is this. Is that if we all have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is actually designed to help us be constituted as a family, there really should be no isolated person in this body. Now that's not an indictment. If you feel isolated, if you feel isolated, that's not an indictment on you. It's a statement for all of us. It's what it is. It's a vision of what could be. It is a goal. It is a goal that says that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, dwells in us to not only make us feel like family, to actually make us family. I have a connection with you 
that I do not have with even some blood relatives that I have because you have the spirit of God and I have the spirit of God and spirit trumps bios. The spirit relationship that we have actually supersedes the natural relationship I have with blood relatives. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. Who are my mothers and brothers? Those those that obey the will of God, those are my mothers and my brothers. So here in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the spirit that you receive, say the spirit I received, does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. In other words, the spirit that you received made you into family. The spirit that you received ratified and finalized and set into existence the fact that you are in fact a member of this family. And anything contrary is not from God. There are some things in the spirit that we have to understand that they are a reality and we have to step into that reality and activate that reality by faith. I understand the very real feeling by my insecurity, by my personality, by my anxiety, my nervousness, my doubt, by life situation and circumstance, but at some point I have to say, no, you're my family and I'm gonna step into that and I'm gonna put myself out there by faith and I'm gonna activate our family by the Spirit of God. Are you with me? So you receive the Spirit that makes family reality. Second picture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read this today. The second picture of the church is that of the body of Christ. How many guys ever played with um, Mr. Potato Head? And if you haven't played with Mr. Potato Head, maybe you've watched Toy Story. And you see that in Mr. Potato Head, you've got, a, you've got a structure and you can pull out the eyes and you can pull out the arms and you can put those things in all different kinds of places. And then you got a freak alien potato head, right? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, all its many parts form one body. And who makes this happen? Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. So what happened on Pentecost? prior to everyone running around speaking in, in, in languages not their own. That was the visible manifestation. The invisible manifestation and reality of Pentecost was that these 120 people, now isn't it interesting that at this time, historically, in Jerusalem, you had people coming into Jerusalem from all different nations, so you had women in the upper room, you had people from different ethne in the upper room, different personalities, different socioeconomic statuses in the upper room. And what happens here in the upper room? God takes all of those differences and he levels them by submerging them in the Holy Spirit. And when they come out, we have one body. We have a church. The invisible, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in baptism is that you are grafted into something way bigger than yourself. 
You're grafted into the universal body, which also takes shape in the local visible body. That's why this matters. That's why what we do together matters. That's why how we relate to our brothers and sisters and other local fellowships matter. Because in the spirit, we are formed into one body. Are we? And it's the Holy Spirit who do it. It's the Holy Spirit who creates that body. It's the Holy Spirit who creates that family. And the last picture is that of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, just fast forward with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We know throughout the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Say, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place, spiritually and theologically, where heaven and earth converged. The temple was the place where people went to to meet with the presence of God. Now God says, I have put my spirit inside of you, and now as a people, when you gather, you create a spiritual temple by which heaven and earth converge. Heaven and earth converge where the church is, where the church is, where the church converges, where the church gathers, where the church establishes itself. Heaven comes and earth, they line up. Jonathan, come on up here, bud. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to read it. We're going to read several verses here. Here's the last picture. The last picture is this. The picture of the church is that is the temple of God. Verse 4 says, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, and precious to him. So Jesus is this precious stone by which this temple is held together. Verse 5. You also, now this is plural. You also, Antioch Church, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house, Legos, to be a holy priesthood. So we are being built into a spiritual house. We are being built into a spiritual house. We're being connected, we're being formed, we are being created. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is the Lego nodules and the holes that make us something that we could never be on our own. The Holy Spirit is the glue, the mortar. The Holy Spirit holds us together. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's skip on down to verse nine. But you are a chosen people, not not person. You collectively are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Final verse here, verse 10. Once you were not a people, you were fragmented, you were disconnected, you were disenfranchised. You may have been a group, you may have been in the same location, but you were not a people. Now think Pentecost here. 
Prior to Pentecost, we were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Let's all stand together. Say, we are the people of God. Let's keep that verse up there, please. But now we are the people of God. Once you were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Let's just say that. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. That's Pentecost. That's because of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come to the table this morning. And we're going to allow what the Holy Spirit is doing, even through bread and juice, to put a stamp on his work of making us a people, making us a family, making us a temple, and making us a body. Stretch forth your hands, if you would, to these elements. God, we pray today that in very natural things like bread and juice, in very natural things like grain and grape, you would reveal spirit and truth. Father, each one of these wafers was connected to a loaf, just like you revealed to us in the scriptures. We are connected to the loaf, the one loaf, Jesus. We, oh God, are connected to the vine. And so, Father, I pray mystically and spiritually and prophetically even that your spirit would constitute this house. That you would make us and take us from a fragmented group of individuals and families and you would make us a people. And you would make us a family. And you would make us a body. And you would make us a temple. This is a spiritual work. And we submit to it today. I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord.